says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome to the post-game show. I'm John, also known as 4020, coming for you from the tip sheet. Joining me this week is my good mate, Quint. He's coming off for the interchange bench for us this week. Uh, Craig has got, uh, who would otherwise be, has got COVID, unfortunately. So uh, joining me is Quint. We're going to have a good chat with an Eels legend and all-time great, Brett Kenny. Thank you, mate. How you doing, Brett? Good to have you on board, mate. Uh, thanks. Nice to be here. All righty, let's talk football first. There was a game tonight, unfortunately. Eels falling just short of a very plucky West Tigers outfit, 21-20. Jackson Hastings field goal with difference at the end. How did you see this one, mate? Yeah, look, obviously, if you're a Parramatta supporter, it was very disappointing. Tigers supporters would be very happy. I actually saw a few Tigers players standing outside the ground on the way over, and they were doing something they haven't done for a while. That was getting photos taken. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, they, they played well. It was obviously very disappointing. I actually mentioned before the game that it, I thought it was a, a dangerous game because of the fact that the Tigers, although they'd been getting beaten the last two weeks, they had played reasonably well for at least 30 minutes of a half. And if they could string that together, you know, they could cause a few problems. And, and unfortunately for Parramatta, I, I just think defensively we weren't that strong. If we, if we had started well and pressured them early, and got away to a 10 or 16 point lead, I think mentally the Tigers players would have thought, well, here we go again. So all of a sudden there's no pressure on us and, and they start to think they're going to get beaten again. But instead they let them lead and, and um, you could see the, the Tigers players gaining in confidence, in particular in their defence in the back end of the game. Well, it was just one of those games, Brett, where it just the longer the game went, it played into the Tigers' hands. Obviously you can't be up every week and there's going to be games where things go wrong and in your career you would have had games like that. How do you manage it in the middle of the match when you're in a position like that? Well look, I, I think a lot of times you, if, if you're fortunate enough to have some great players in your team, you need you rely on one of those players to do something special. Um, the other thing that we used to try and do a lot of times is just stick to the game plan. Um, a lot of times, you know, you start watching the clock and you look at the score and you're looking at the clock and thinking, geez, you, so you start pushing passes and you think you've got to get done, things done quicker. Um, but if you can, and a lot of this comes through experience and, and you, you need to have experience there to, to, to sort of control things and say, look, let's just stick to the game plan, things will work. Unfortunately for Parramatta, that obviously didn't work tonight. Um, I was a little disappointed with the fact that Towards the end of the game, there were six minutes to go. They had an opportunity to, to put over a field goal or work for a field goal. And I know there were still six minutes to go, but at least one point in front is going to help. Yeah. Um, especially the way the game was going. We weren't dominating and we had an opportunity. And um, when you look at the, the first half where they had a lot of ball, they had a number of repeat sets and we only managed to score 10 points. And I think that's not right. If, if, People talking about, this is our year, we'll win a premiership. Well, if you're gonna win a premiership, you gotta be able to beat sides like the Tigers yep. by at least 30 or 40. And th that's an important point, that. is that it's obviously a good team parameter fielding in 2022, but you look at those moments in games, like in the last six minutes, they're the things that'll define 
how far you can go towards the, the title. And that's something that you want to see the Eels improve on within the coming uh, weeks and months. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and again, and I think they've got to look at their experienced players and, and they've got to start to take a bit of control and, and, and move the team around the field and put them in a position to say, well, now we can put over a field goal or, yes, we're in a position where we can score a try. That's what they've got to do. And I think, you know, you, you, look at, you look at the sides that go on and win premierships, generally their forwards dominate all the time. I think Parramatta over the last few weeks have dominated, but this week they probably didn't dominate as much as you would like. Mm. But also, they're more consistent with their victories. Yeah. The teams win week in, week out. They don't win two in a row, then lose a third, back it up, win another one, lose, lose the next one, then win three more, then lose one. They've got to be very consistent, and I think their attitude, mental attitude's got to be that every week is going to be a tough game. Yeah. And that's the way they've got to approach it. Do you think that that's the next step in their evolution as a side to go forward? What's that, sorry? Do you think that's the next step in their evolution for the side to go forward, to, to get, be able to get to a point where they're up every single week? Yeah, you know, they've, they've, that's the way you've got to look at it. It's a, it's a tough competition. Um, what, what the players have got to realise is that the media are pushing Parramatta. Everyone's saying Parramatta's a chance to win a premiership. So when everyone sees you're a chance to win a premiership, opposition teams want to beat you. Yep. So it's almost like they are the current premiers, although even though Penrith are, but they've got to realise that Big every week teams want to beat Parramatta. So they've got to come out and say, well, we know it's going to be a tough game, regardless of where that side's sitting on the competition table. And we saw that tonight. They played against the side that's running last, and they got beaten. Yep. So, you know, they need to learn from this game today, and they need to get themselves in a position where they consistently win week in, week out. You're not going to win every game. But if they, if they get beaten by a team that's above them, or they've played well and still got beaten, you could accept that. But tonight, you couldn't accept what happened tonight. Going to be doing a lot of homework out of this one because as well as the West Tigers play, and they were clearly up for the game, Parramatta left a lot out there. They invited West Tigers to be on the front foot. Yeah, look, you know, that, we, that was the problem. Parramatta let them into the game, and as I said earlier, you could see that the Tigers were gaining in confidence just by their defence. Defensively, they became very strong. We didn't, and like they started trying things. I mean, they were in a situation where... They could try what they want. No one expected them to win the game. Absolutely. So that's an easy thing for you, for them. And, that, and that's why, as I said earlier, mentally they've just come out of five losses in a row. If we had have started strong, got on top early, the odds are the Tigers players would have thought, well, here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. Would have made our game a lot easier to win. Anything else you want to say on this game before we move on to some better uh, stuff to talk about, mate? What was that? Anything else you want to wrap up for the 21-20 loss? Oh, mate, I think I've said enough about this game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let, let's talk some cool stuff because this week it's been 75 years since the inception of the club. It was April 12, I believe, against Newtown Bluebags or Newtown Jets back then. Eels had their first game. It was a loss, unfortunately. But you, you and all the old boys reconvened this week and had a very special luncheon on Thursday. Do events like that carry extra meaning for you boys in particular who had such a wonderful run for the club? Yeah, look, it was, Thursday was, it was a magnificent day and, and it was um, a good way to celebrate 75 years in the competition. There was a lot of the guys there from the team of the 80s, mm -hmm. um, probably not as many from the 70s and, and, and 60s, but 
me the good thing was, you know, obviously spoke about the history of the club and, and, and it's something that you sort of, you tend to forget about at times. Mm. So it was good to go back over how it all started and um, blokes like Jack Argent and Jack Boyle started the club. Um, a lot of people get it confused when they say that the house that Jack yep. built, they keep yep. thinking it was Jack Gibson. There's um, a, lot, a lot of Jacks involved in the building of Parramatta. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, but it was a great day and, and it was good to catch up with guys. A lot of, un, a lot of guys have changed a little, some have changed a lot. But, um, yeah, just to be able to talk about the history of the game and the current players were there. So it was good, to, good for them to sort of learn a little bit about this club and get to know what it actually means to the supporters. I think that's a big thing. They've got to understand what a lot of the rugby league Parramatta supporters have been through. A lot, obviously, the older ones have seen the premierships and it's been a long time since yeah. the 86 premiership. So... They're getting very frustrated, <laughs> and I think the players have got to learn and realise that that's the situation. Yeah. And for them to have people not get frustrated with them, they've got to go on and win a premiership. They go and yeah. win a premiership, yeah. everything will be fine. So um, I'm hoping that that's what they sort of learned out of out of Thursday, because yeah. a few of the guys up on stage said exactly that, and I won't yeah. actually say exactly what they no, said, that, but yeah, a few of them did say you'd yeah. actually just got to go on and win a premiership. Then that probably dovetails into the next question we have in that the message that came out of that whole event was to create your own history. Um, if you're a current Parramatta player who's there at that event around all those legends who have been there and done that, how do you go about doing that? How, how, how do you take on the message of the, of, of the past and create a future of your own? Well, look, I, I just think they've just got to concentrate on their game plan week in, week out. Um, as I said earlier, their, their attitude's got to be that you know, it's going to be a tough game. This is what we need to do to win the game and we can't afford to, to relax or drop off our game plan. They don't have to worry about the end of the season at the moment. To me, they should be worrying about what's going to happen next week. Yeah. Uh, if, if they get everything right week to week, the end of the season will take care of itself. Yep. They'll be up there in the top four or five and they might be a chance to go on, get past at least week two. Yeah. But as a lot of people have said, a lot of former players anyway, is the best way for them to fix this thing about everyone talking about the last time we won a Premiership 1986 is go ahead and win one. It's as and that's what they've got to do. They've got to do whatever it takes to win one. And as I said, you look at tonight's performance, that's not what you do to win a Premiership, but hopefully they learn from this. Talking about that burden of expectation from fans and from media and from the club itself. When you look back on your run through the 80s, was there any difference between 81, the first one, then you go to 82 and 83, like two, three, four, two, three and four? What, what changed for you when it comes to the burden of expectation? Well, 1981 obviously was very special. It was the first grand final that Parramatta had ever won. For me, it was very personal. It was the first grand final I'd ever played in. So it was great to have a first grade grand final to, pl to play in. But um, I do think sometimes back then, a lot of the supporters after the 82 grand final started to become a little bit cocky and thought, well, we'll win it again in 83. Well, we, we did. But <laughs> you notice, we noticed when we got back to the club, it wasn't as, as big as big a night in 1983 as it was back in 1981. It, it had become the norm. Which, yeah, which is understandable. I mean, 81 being the first one, everyone was happy. And, I mean, we, you, you couldn't get in it. That was the thing. You couldn't get into the club. And 
Uh, it was just an amazing experience. But as it went on, yes, we, you know, you could sense that everyone was sort of thinking, yeah, we'll do it again. 1984, unfortunately, we got beaten in the grand final against the Bulldogs. And then 85, we got beaten in the finals. So it took us two more years, or it was actually the third year, before we were able to win again. And I think then everyone was almost like 1981 again because everyone thought, oh, geez, we hadn't won one for a while and we've won it again. So, um, yeah, and of course, as we've been saying, it's been quite a while now since, since that one. And what was it like catching up with all your old mates and friends during the week? What was it like catching up with all your old friends during the week? All your oh, look, teammates? it was good, yeah, we, it was great. We, we sort of catch up once a year at a reunion that we organise ourselves, just amongst all the players. And, um, but yeah, it was good to, good to catch up with guys again and get to see everyone. You don't get to see them that often now. And, um, but yeah, it was great. And, and it was particularly good to be able to be in the same room as the current players. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the big things that look, the club's looking at is is to have the current players get to know the former players that, and especially you know guys that they hear people talk about saying, well, they won the premiership. So yes, we're the ones that won the premiership. Um, but it, it's nice to be able to know to know these guys. Um, I often think, you know, if I walked into a dressing room, it'd be nice to know that I could sit down next to Dylan Brown and have a chat to him about things. Sit down next to um, Clint Cutherson, have a talk about things. So I think that's what the club's looking to try and do now because it's been quite a while since former players have actually felt as welcomed at the club. Yeah. I think uh, Vince Sorrenti had a humorous comment about one of your uh, teammates from back then, the Bear Bob O'Reilly. He said he looked like he was in his 80s back in the 80s and he still looks like he's 80, in his 80s now. So he's aged well <laughs> or grew up too early before his time. Oh, look, yeah, he, I mean, he looked 102 then back in <laughs> 1981. Um, I've, always, I've always had a shot at him because like, I scored two tries and, and he got the man of the match. And I said, the only reason you got the man in the match because you're an old bloke. <laughs> and they felt sorry for you, you know. But, but he was great, the bear, having him around and, and playing. And um, to do what, yeah, to achieve what he was able to achieve, even in that year, was, was an amazing effort. Um, and he, I guess that's where people like myself were so lucky to have guys like Bob O'Reilly, Mick Cronin, Ray Price, Ron Hilditch, Kevin Stevens, these sort of guys, playing in the same team. They were able to help out, look after you, I know Price had threatened to kill you sometimes, so you wouldn't do anything. And, but yeah, it was, it was good and, and it, was, it was nice to have that bit of experience there. Su such a rare blend of rising stars with that experience to help balance things, wasn't it? Yeah, that's, that was the, the big thing. I think that was a big plus for us. That's why we were able to achieve what we did achieve. I think that, that could very well be one of the problems with today's game, is that they're all thinking they've got to have all these young guys in the team, but they don't have the older guys with the experience that can take control of a game like we wanted to have happen tonight. That's yeah. what we wanted, that someone to take control of the game. So, um, you know, I always believe there's a place for experienced players in any team. And just on that and some of those former teammates, Brett, um, Stirler had some very kind words for you throughout the week. Words to the effect of, if it weren't for yourself and Pricey, he wouldn't have been as good as he was. What, what do you make of that assessment? I agree with him. <laughs> you know... <laughs> I agree with you. I keep saying, if it wasn't for the little number six, those blokes would be useless, you know. But, but look, it was a, it was a great side. It was a, a wonderful back line. And, 
I was very fortunate to be able to play in that team. And I remember when I first came into first grade, I used to think the game, it wasn't that tough. Well, the first grade's not that hard. And then I realised, like, years later, I was playing outside Mick Cranley. And he sort of took a lot of knocks and he didn't put me under any pressure. And he really looked after me. And, and I think, I believe that, I mean, I was able to achieve a lot in the game, but I don't think I would have been able to achieve it if it wasn't for Mick Cronin. He, he looked after me, he helped me grow into the position of centre, he helped me grow into first grade. I ended up coming up with a lot of confidence and I was able to go on from that. I think if he didn't do that, I might have been knocked around too much. And, but, so yeah, and, and we had, as I said, a lot of great young guys. A lot of us were, were 20 years of age when we played in that grand final and um, 21 years of age when we went away on a kangaroo tour. So we, we sort of had to learn pretty quickly, but because we had those experienced players in the side, I think that helped tremendously. And, and as I said, with the back line, yeah, look, it was pretty easy to play in that back line. I didn't have to do too much. I just passed the ball and I think let you're, them you're do underselling their job. it just a yeah, little bit. A lot of humility <laughs> there, Brett. <laughs> We've uh, had the chance to have some wonderful stories about some of the characters within the team on the tip sheet for that run in the 70s and 80s. Going back to that reunion on Thursday, are the pests and jokers still the same blokes from back then? Or have some old dogs learned some new tricks uh, when you came back to re the reunion? Yeah, look, you know, you still got some of the guys that, you know, sort of be, be a bit angry at times, and I won't mention any names, but yeah, he's, he's, he still gets angry. Um, he did captain the side in the 86 grand final, <laughs> but I won't mention his name. And <laughs> he, he's still got a reputation of being angry, and that's, that's right. But yeah, the, 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 I, I always like to have a bit of fun and muck around a bit before a game and it was actually quite surprising because I, I mentioned the fact that yeah, when I'd, I'd get to a game about one o'clock and I'd watch reserve grade till half time and I said I used to enjoy watching the cheer girls, you know, they'd dance to some song and, and we did, they'd even have the little kids running across the field playing football and I said I'd walk into the change rooms after the girls had finished and I'd be dancing and singing and carrying on <laughs> until Jack Gibson come in but that was my way of doing things and on Thursday a few of the ladies come up and said oh I used to be a cheer girl I was one of the cheer girls oh, right. wow. so they were happy that we got they got a mention but yeah look, some of the guys the characters are still characters Eric Great was there he's still the same just the guru, quiet yeah. doesn't do too much um, yeah Steve Ella was there Mick, Mick Cronin's the same doesn't say too much, just just gets around. So yeah, it was it was a good day. Oh, it's good to hear. And look, um, obviously there's a super talented group of players that you were involved with, and particularly at the start of your career, you touched on going on those kangaroo tours. Did you ever look around and go, "Wow, this is who I get to play with, and this is this is what I do for a living"? Well, when we went away on a kangaroo tour, I thought it was going to be great because. Always wanted to be a full-time footballer. Most of the guys that I played with always want, all, all we wanted to do was play rugby league. Going away on a kangaroo tour, that's all you did. You know, you for about two or three ate, months. You or ate, so. you drank, you slept, <laughs> and you drank and you drank and you drank rugby league. That's what you that's did when you were on a kangaroo the kangaroo tour, yep. and, and it was great. You know, and, and when we come back, you know, all of us had learned so much while we were over there. And as I said, there was. Myself, Steve Ella, Peter Sterling, John Muggle and Eric Grath were all, all around 21 years of age. 
all toured around England and France, played in some tests and gained a lot of experience. And um, yeah, it, it was good to be able to do that and just to be for a matter of three months, we were full-time footballers. I don't know whether I could be a full-time footballer now. Um, the way, probably not so much the way they train, but the way the game's played with the rules. I, I, I just think there's too many rules in the game now. I, I feel sorry for referees. I, I, how the hell they remember everything. It's a tough, tough gig, isn't beyond it? Beyond me. And, um, I don't know whether people here realise, but there is a rule now. It's a, there's a 20-40. You can kick the ball from inside your 20 metres, find inside their 40. No one said, no one knows about it. Said that's no, not a rule. So it is, but everyone does a 40-20. But and, and there's that many rules you can't remember them all. There is a lot of uh, tinkering and and uh, sort of uh, messing with the game at the moment. Like you said, it makes things so hard for the officials, let yes. alone the players. Now I've got a two-fold question for you, Brett. You sort of answered this a little bit, but looking at those premiership teams, and you sort of gave the Crow a big shout-out, but is there anyone that you think deserves more praise that you played with than they probably get in the wider spectrum? Yeah, look, we, we, had, we had a few players that, you know, back in the 80s. A guy by the name of Steve Sharp played in the back row for us. And Sharpie, like, when you look at the side he played with, as I said, after 1982, virtually the entire back line were internationals. Paul Taylor was a fullback. He was another one that never got a lot of recognition. Um, but Sharpie, yeah, in the for, even in the forward pack, you know, he played with a lot of internationals in the forward pack. And it, I guess from a player's point of view, we all realised how important Steve Sharp was to our side. We, we knew what he did. He, people watching from off the field would probably look at it and think he didn't do a great deal, but we knew what he did was worth what it helps our side. And the same with Paul Taylor. Um, I mean, everyone said, you know, Paul Taylor got Paul Taylor mixed up with Peter Sterling. But, but in the end, we, we knew what, what, how, much Paul, um, um, how much Paul Taylor meant to, to our side and, and how much Steve Sharp meant to our side. But they were two guys that people wouldn't mention when they talk about Parramatta. And um, as Sterling said earlier today, in the, Sterling won the man of the match in the 86 grand final, but in his opinion, Paul Taylor was the man of the match, and we all agreed that he was, he was probably by far the best player. Maybe they, the judges got him caught up with Sterling, <laughs> Sterling but, but you know, these were the type of guys that we had in our side, and from the players' point of view, we realised how important they were to our team. And then, as a follow-up, post-1986, when things got a bit tougher for the club, was there anyone that you played with that could have been a difference maker in those premiership teams if they'd been given the opportunity? Oh, look, we, we had a few young guys running around. I think um, Glenn Lydiard was a guy that probably, if he, if he had played back in the early 80s with the guys that we had, um, yeah, may have gone on to bigger and better things. Um, another guy, young guy by the name of Jason Bell played halfback. Yeah was always going to find it a bit tough because of the guy that he followed, Peter Sterling. The heavy, heavy was the expectation following Yeah, Peter yeah, Sterling. the expectations were very great. And, but I think if those two guys had been able to play in the side that we had, um, yeah, I, I think you would have seen them do a lot more than what, than what they were able to do. 
And from a personal perspective, Brett, uh, what are you proudest of in your career? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot that you can be proud of, mate. Legend. It's a glittering career. You mean on the field? <laughs> I'm more than happy if you want to share a story no, from no. off the field. Um, oh, look, I, I guess uh, for me it would have been 1981, playing in the grand final. Uh, as I said earlier, that was the first grand final I'd ever played in. I was never fortunate enough to play as a kid in a grand final and obviously scoring a couple of tries with, um, was a bit of a bonus. So yeah, that was, that was one of the highlights. Obviously, um, playing Origin was another highlight and, and representing your country was obviously the ultimate you want to do and are very fortunate when I went away in 82 with the Kangaroos, played in all the test matches, um, which was something I didn't expect. Wally Lewis was the vice captain and, and the current 5'8 at the time. I kept him out of the side and played in all the test matches and that was a great experience to be able to do that and, and also with Origin, as I said, um, I was a member of the first New South Wales side to win an Origin series in 1985, so that was something very special as well. I mean, like I said, it's a heck of a career, mate. You can pick out a dozen things that all be someone else's absolute career, like defining moments, so it speaks Absolutely. to the legacy that you've carved out. Now, before we let you go, you talked about how much the game has changed since when you played, but looking at the Parramatta squad and then looking at the wider NRL, which players do you like to watch as a fan? Oh, look, I like watching Cameron Munster. Um, um, this young guy on, on the screen Nico now. Nico Hines, yep, he goes all right. Uh, Nico Hines. Uh, you know, I, I like watching those sort of guys play. You know, they, they're, they're good with the football in their hands. Um, there's not too many others, it, it, and it, look, I mean, I, I used to like watching James Tedesco. I, I just feel that with James Tedesco at the moment, because he's captain of the, the Roosters, I, I look at him and think he tries to do too much. I think that's but, a fair criticism. Yeah, blokes like Cameron Munster, Nico Hines. Um, I like watching Mitchell Moses play. Um, I think he, he's very constructive with what he does. Uh, he, he likes to try things, and, and I, I, that's what I like to see. I don't like seeing guys that become boring and doing I, shit. I, I think that's the big thing about those three players you singled out there and James Tedesco too, is that they play in and out of structure very comfortably, whereas so many modern players just drill, go block for block, play finger structures, whereas we saw, like against the Dragons, Mitchell Moses realised there was no fullback at home, kicks ahead for himself and, and plays heads yeah. up football. Well, the Pappenhausen's the same, you know. Yes. Um, and that's what I mean. When I played, we, we had a structure, but it wasn't like it is today. So rigid. And, and I, I, I believe, I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I'm right, but I believe there's a lot of players running around out there that have got a lot more ability than what we see because the game's been structured so much, these guys aren't allowed to do what they can do naturally. They've got to do certain things and, um, you know, they've got to be on this part of the field by tackle three, then they've got to do this, then they've got to, to do that. And to me, the opposition don't sit there and say, well, look, they've got to be over here on tackle three, so we'll let them get there. And then they've got to be here. That doesn't happen. There's, there's going to be times that your structure's not going to work. That's when you need guys like the Nico Hines, Cameron Munsters, Pappenhausen, Mitchell Moses, to go in and do something to get things going forward again. And, and, but that was the way we used to play the game. That was the way it was played. It was always... You're looking around, seeing what's going on. Um, sometimes something mightn't work. I know Jack Gibson, his game plan for us was that if you 
If you're in a dummy half and you haven't heard what the call is, pick it up and run towards the middle of the field. That was it. Yeah. That's what we had to do. And then after that, we had players that could take over from there. So we run towards the middle of the field, then the players would Sterlow or Steve Edge would be in a position to do something. And, and that was the way we played the game. And, and that's what I like to watch players like that. I like watching teams like that. Melbourne do that sort of thing. You know, yeah. they just, yeah. they're, they're structured, but they just, they can do things. Yeah. Um, the Cowboys were doing it for a while, but, but um, yeah, I, I just like that. I know the rules probably don't help, but I, I, get, I get very frustrated with the, the obstruction rule. It's a pain point for me. <laughs> with all exception, and, and, and apologies to all the kids and the mums that are here, but it pisses me off. No, I, I am with just, you 100%. It's just where a guy gets knocked over, and the ball, he gets knocked over when the ball's three players away from him. And, you know, and he was standing facing this way, and he was never out of it looking as if he was going to chase the guy. Yeah. But because in the book it says that's obstruction, they give an obstruction. Yeah. We've got guys scoring great tries being disallowed because some blokes taking a dive. The yeah. best one I saw was James Tamu. I, I can't remember who they played. He actually ran across the field, pushed the bloke in the back, and then said, oh, and, <laughs> and got the penalty. I'm thinking that's ridiculous. Yeah, that, that, that's not me, good footy. Yeah, yeah uh, to me, that's, people are walking away from the game because of all that stuff. You don't need that, you know. You, you, the game is very basic. You, you've got six tackles to try and score a try. The opposition got to try and stop you. After t five tackles, depending on where you are on the field, Turn as to how you kick the ball, yeah. whether you kick it high, kick it long, or grab a kick, that's it. The other team get the ball and do exactly the same thing. Done. We don't need all this other shit about if he touches him and, he, and if he hits his inside shoulder, if he touches his outside shoulder, what about this plate breaks his fingernail? All of a sudden now <laughs> we can't do anything. And it's just, they just bring too many rules into the game and yeah, I just get a bit fr frustrated. The other week I turned it off and watched the AFL. There you go. Just, I mean, yeah, it, it, just, I think it's a sentiment among fans is that the game is getting needlessly complicated for the sake of you know, complicating the game rather than just keeping it pure. And like you said, six tackles, to score or not score, use your run, kick and pass to do the best that you can. Yeah, and that's it. It's just basic stuff. And that's it. Let the people, let the guys out there use their ability. Um, you know, if they can do things like... That was one of the things that Jack Gibson always did. He looked at guys to see what they could do, what was natural for them, and he never tried to stop them doing that. And as a coach, you look at it, and, I, and I've coached at lower grades, and I always looked at guys and thought, he can do this, he can do that well, he can do that well. I don't need to teach him anything there, but he can't do this, so I've got to teach him how to do that. To me, that's the role of a coach, and at the end of the year, you look at that guy and you say, you know what, he could already do that. He's not only improved in that, but he's done really well in what he couldn't do. And, but at the moment, they're trying to stop them from doing things and you know, make sure you get here, make sure you get there. And I often wonder, I know there's been a lot of coaches have been sacked, and you look at some of the coaches and you think, well, why would you sack him? And maybe that's, and my theory is that the coaches nowadays look at the people that make the decisions on whether they keep their job, and a lot of them have got no idea what they're doing. So the coaches are saying, well, we'll do it this way, don't throw the ball around too much because there's more of an opportunity to make a mistake. The more mistakes we make, complete, the more chance complete we Complete your sets, play conservatives, yeah. go for I could lose my job. Play the so odds. that's why it becomes so structured. So, well, don't do this, don't do that. 
and the game becomes boring. And I mean, I could be wrong, but that's just no, a theory I've come up a, with. Whether it's a fantastic work. conversation point, Brett. You know, I think you're adding plenty of uh, good emphasis on it as well. So, look, uh, it would have been very nice to get the win tonight, mate. But you'd be hard pressed to find a better way to celebrate 75 years of the Parramatta Eels than having an evening with. Not only one of the greatest Eels of all time, but one of the great rugby league players of all time. So thank you for taking half an hour of your day to sit with us and just chat football, mate. It is so enlightening. No worries. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoyed it. It's great to be here. Thank Ladies you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for Brett Kenny sitting down and talking football. Thank you. Much appreciated. Much appreciated, Brett. You have a nice night. Thank you. Alrighty, Quint, let's quickly wrap things up here. We've got a couple of games to talk about before we let the ladies and gents go about their business. We mentioned it with Brett, but uh, Eels going down 20 to the West Tigers, 21. For the Tigers, it was Luciano Leilua opening the scoring, followed by David Nofaluma double, and then Ken Mamalo in the 48th minute. Parramatta hit back by Quinton Gufferson, Isaiah Papali'i, Reed Marnie and Murata Niakore. Uh, Mitchell Moses, two from four. Luke Brooks and Jackson Hastings combining to go two from four together. And then that crucial Jackson Hastings field goal as time ran out. I think this is a game that when you look at the numbers, you'll be actually stunned at how the Eels got to where they were. But, you know, possession favouring Parramatta 52 to 48%. Likewise, time possession, it's plus 60 seconds in Parramatta's favour. But you look at the completion rates, and that's one of the first key indicators. Parramatta down at 69%. West Tigers up at 76%. And you are saying to me, you thought that flattered Parramatta and that maybe the Tuesday adjustments might actually knock us down a little bit. Oh, absolutely, John. I mean, um, the story of that game is that we didn't control the ball well. Um, the, the time that we did have possession, we were trying to play too, uh, footy way too fast. Um, you know, we weren't earning our field position. We weren't earning our opportunities. We are trying to manufacture them on the go. And it doesn't matter the quality of your opposition. If you're not completing your sets, you're it, not going to win rugby league. It's the NRL. I mean, as, as bad as the West Tigers can and, and, and could play, they're still a first-grade caliber team, and they will take advantage when you, when you leave that sort of stuff on the field. And the other thing, when we're looking at the numbers, was the missed tackles and ineffective tackles. West Tigers combined with 33 missed tackles, 14 ineffective. So that's a net 47 in the error rates defensively. But Parramatta, 33 missed tackles, 28 ineffective tackles. And we really saw that in the first half, where West were opening us up with second-phase football. We're just touching before on some of those stats probably likely being adjusted on Tuesday. I think another will be the offloads for the West Tigers because yeah. Parramatta was falling off tackles multiple times throughout the set and it looked as though it was the Tigers um, through many different periods of the game were just getting an easy roll on and it's very hard to contain a game of rugby league if you're allowing your position to do that. Yeah, the, the 16 official offloads could have easily been 32 and been a believable stat. West were just running riot with the second phase football. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we don't want to go too much in depth because I think Brett did a fantastic job summing it up because it is a simple lesson to take from this game you've got to complete your sets you've got to you know get follow the game plan but also what I was talking about at the end you can't get caught up in structure too much as well and that Ab was probably what hurt absolutely the absolutely you know and, and, and again I, I repeat myself when I say this but you know we try to manufacture opportunities instead of earning the right to and it doesn't matter your position you know remember we we're touching on it with Brett just before you know you have to earn the right to win and it always starts from building a strong foundation game. And you know, that, that opening 10 to 20, uh, we just didn't do that. Yeah, and a lot of lessons to take out of is the coach's tape isn't going to be pretty. On to Newcastle next week, a chance to bounce back and, and get back into that winner's column. But it wasn't all doom and gloom today on Easter Monday. The New South Wales Cup was fantastic. Eels prevailing 40 to 10. 
Uh, a lot of young talent starring. Matthew Komalafi, he had a hat-trick. Ellie Osgaham, a good young back row, also scoring. Jack A. Williams, Samuel Loizu, Jaden Yates. A lot of young players featuring in that 40-10 win. Well, I mean, it's kind of a, a tale of two stories today. You know, reserve grade did exactly what we hoped first grade would do, and it was, it was an absolute complete team performance. You know, they went in the break, I think it was 6-4 um, down, or it might have even been 6-all, but um, um, th that second half was a, um, a, a very well-controlled game, particularly from Jacob Arthur, who was my man of the match. He picked up a couple of try assists, and um, he, um, he managed field position with his kicking game, uh, the, uh, that back 40. Yeah, it was tough picking best on field. Jake Arthur, outstanding. Komalafi having a hat-trick. Zach Sini, very busy. I thought young Sam Loizu, very good too. In the forwards, William Greg potent offensively. Probably need to tie up a little bit of stuff on defence, but Brendan Hands at dummy half, outstanding. Ellie Olsgaham, so lots of good performances there. And I'm yeah, sure Ryan Bryce Cartwright, Cartwright was very yeah, busy as well. Lock forward, Bryce Cartwright, outstanding. So, yeah, good, good to see the reserve grade is putting pressure on the first grade. And, yeah, you come out of this weekend with a lot of lessons to be figured out for the Parramatta Eels, and I'm sure they'll get it right moving on to Newcastle. Oh, well, can only hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's a nice place to wrap it up, mate. Thanks for stepping in and doing a tough gig with me. Thanks to everyone listening, ladies and gents. It's been an absolute blast. Brett Kenny, what an amazing guest. And we'll be back for the next home game in a couple of weeks. No, thank you, John, and thank you, everyone, here tonight. Stay safe, ladies and gentlemen. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks. Hello, and welcome back with the powers of post-production. Uh, joining me from our... Home Studios is my good mate, 60s, as we do a quick dive into the loss in round six against the West Tigers. Uh, I had a chat with Clint and Brett Kenny last night. Now I'm going to just do a quick review of my mate, 60s. How you doing, big fella? Well, mate, obviously uh, disappointed um, and uh, emotional about the loss yesterday. I think a lot of Eels supporters felt the same way. But we'll try to be a bit more analytical today. And first of all, my thanks to Clint for filling in for me. It's been a uh, an absolute shit house last um, <laughs> seven to nine days for me. And I appreciate Clint being able to step in um, this week. And uh, I believe did an absolute ripper job last night back at the club. Yeah, it was outstanding working in relief for you, big fella. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I very appreciative of what Quint did, and it was just such a blast having a chat with Brett Kenny. He is such a great football mind, and it's just he's got so many not just great stories, but just great you know ways of talking about rugby league to just converse with. So that was very very fun, and uh, I think I signed off last night saying that outside of the loss of the West Tigers, I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate seventy five years of the Parramatta Eels than just having an evening with Brett Kenny. So it was a very special moment. But let's talk. Round six, mate. Eels going down 20-21. to 21. West Tigers winning in the 79th minute with a field goal care of Jackson Hastings. I did the numbers with Quint last night, so we won't run through those team stats like we always do. Let's start with what really jumped out to you as to how and why the Eels lost this one. Well, mate, obviously it was a disappointing loss for a team that has high ambitions this season. I think I was trying to think of the right way to sum it up and I came up with that last night every player was probably performing at less than their best so that when you had the sum of the parts you had a whole lot less than the whole in the end yep. and the whole team performance was way below what it needed to be you've gone through some of the stats the completion rates the 
uh, tackle efficiencies or let's say the tackle inefficiencies, (laughs) more more like it. Attention to detail, it just wasn't there. You had a West's Tigers team who turned up hungry, eager to play, and yet at the same time were still making enough errors, missing enough tackles that a team with top-of-the-table ambitions should have been able to put them away, and we didn't. And yeah, West, uh, West played their best football of the season, there's no doubt. But like you said, the, the game was very much there to still be won in spite of that, and the Eels just be left. When they watch the coaches tape on this, they're going to be very upset. I think the players are going to be very uh, annoyed at themselves what they left on the table on Easter Monday. Well, it just didn't – there was a whole lot that didn't make sense. There was – easy yardage that was being made up through the middle whenever we were holding onto the ball and going in that direction. But it seemed that the shifts were clunky and full of errors and um, there were players that had games that were so far below their best, it wasn't funny. I I mean, I, I think I had ice up near the top of the best on field either last week or the week after. And then this week, it was a case of it being uh, one of his worst first halves that I'd seen. Uh, Really, really upsetting uh, performance. Yeah, I mean, I can't help but see it exactly the same way, mate. You talk about players, you know, not not being that sum of the whole. You mentioned Ice having that shocking start. I thought Reid had a number of crucial errors. And it wasn't just those two. It was just, you know, there was drop ball here, missed tackles there, allowing an offload through the ruck. You know, just that the defense was slow. It was unresponsive. West Tigers capitalized on it. They obviously had a game plan to attack Will Penasini's side, knowing that it was a center playing wing that did that to great effect of Nofaluma. And yeah, it was just disappointing. And I think that that's the big thing the players, and when they do the video review on this, they're going to sit back and say, how did we let that happen? Like, they'll just look at this like incident after incident and say, we should have wrapped, we should have pushed up, we should have, you know, executed faster. Because like like you said, those backline moves to Parramatta, and you understand to an extent because there's been about 50 backline reshuffles at this point, but the the entirety of it was just so slow. And and Wes were able to just, like, slide off and, and mark up on whoever got the ball because... The deals were not putting pressure uh, with speed. That that's one hundred percent correct, and it was. Uh, we saw that with um, a couple of pushed passes in the in that first half. Of, you know, I, I mean, I'm coming. I'm not. I'm not meaning to to pick on ice in this regard, but the the ball that he threw, and I think it was on about the second tackle to um, uh, Bailey. Uh, yes, yeah, Bailey Simonson. Yeah, Bailey needed to be uh, Sean Lane to go get that one. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, it, it was, you know, symptomatic of what was going on out there. So, you, when you talk about what was it, something like over sixty ineffective or missed tackles yeah. combined. When you're talking about that, defense is an attitude, and that is just a real summation about the attitude that Parramatta took into this game. I, I, I'm i really dumbfounded about how that attitude was carried into the game because when you're talking about a big stage, that was as big a stage as they've had this season in terms of 
the event sold the out crowd yeah, was there sold out uh, uh, home crowd 75 years of Parramatta Eels Easter Monday traditional game against a, a Western Sydney rival like you said that there is no I, I you could not add more to that outside of it being in the finals for the Eels to be revved up to have the, their best performance of the season yeah and we know that the West Tigers put in an improved performance but as I said earlier that was not what you'd call a match-winning performance from the West Tigers. If they played any other team in the top eight, they get beaten. Yeah, and they probably and they probably get a score put on them by a couple of the top teams. We have to be honest about that. The reason that they won the game was that poor completion rate, which was it was less than seventy percent, wasn't it? 60, in the end, sixty-nine percent. Yeah, thirty or forty-three, yeah. I think. And and it was lower than that at different times during the game, plus those missed tackles. You you put that together, they weren't forced mistakes. That's the part that's the the real disturbing part. They weren't forced mistakes. They were symptomatic of, as you said, an Eels team who in defence were largely passive in what they were doing. And you could see that those passages of play where there was so many easy meters where the eels defense was were watching and waiting for them to do something. You just knew that they were going to have problems on within well how few tackles that the West Tigers had within the eels quarter and yet can, were able to convert uh, a, a little bit of possession into points yeah uh, hmm. yeah, and you look at it and you go. Well, the Eels had uh, the penalties flowing their way. They had the six agains flowing their way. How was it that they could be so passive and so error-riddled when there was a, a lot of circumstances going their way? Now, I, mind you, I was looking at it and I was thinking, I've seen this happen before where the opposition are quite prepared to slow up the play of the ball, be ultra-aggressive in the ruck and in the in in that tackle on the Eels, be prepared to give away six again, be prepared to give away penalties and put the Eels off their game. That said, I don't know that that put the Eels off their game. I just think we weren't on it from very early on in the match and there's going to be a, a good hard rethink. I agree with what you have to say. Uh, with we're you know starting to run out of backline options, I think the consensus has to be agreed with that. Uh, Will Penasini is a centre, not a winger. Yeah, I think uh, you know coaching's not an easy gig, and especially when you're down that many resources, I think it's fair to say that BA probably misread that one or misplayed that one. Um, Will Penasini, absolute superstar of a young of a young centre, but yeah, the West Tigers really went after him as a winger and had a great, great impact doing that. Um, but yeah, once again, I, I can't be that upset at the head coach given <laughs> the lack of resources available, but well, we're losing, we're, we're losing wingers. We're losing centers. We're just losing outside backs. Yeah. So the, the, um, when you think about the start of the, of the season where the plan was that, one side of the field was well. We were the wingers were going to be Hayes Dunster and Bailey Simonson. 
the centres, Wonga Blake and Will Penasini. There's and only now, two men left standing. We're just, and now we've we've Wait. we've lost, um, yeah. we've lost Hayes, we've lost Sean Russell, we've lost Wonga Blake. We were already already down, Sevo uh, like before all yep. that happened. Um, it's just, yeah, you start to run out of troops. However, we have to keep coming back from it. Even aside from that. And the problems that that caused on on that left hand side of the field, that's not our that that wasn't accounting for the defensive errors. It wasn't accounting for the lack of completions. That was all attitude. Yeah, and the attitude was not right yesterday. And there is no there is no way of of gilding over that. It's, I mean, it is only round six, but you just don't like to see that from a team with such aspirations and especially as that missed tackle count was not something that we were seeing for the first time this season. Yeah, we've talked about it on our reviews in the first couple of weeks. Defensively, the Eels were making bad initial contact. Um, It was then tidy up. I think maybe the Melbourne game was where they started to rectify that and they followed that up with the St. George game and then the Gold Coast game where, especially in that first half, they were very good defensively but even in the second half when the chips were against them they they rolled up their sleeves but this was a real bad return to those early round performances defensively where like you said it's about effort and commitment in defense and the boys just did not show that against the west tigers no and when you're coming up against a team that is winless that has all the pressure in the world on them on them and then you have the circumstances of the of the big home crowd. You've got um, the penalty and six again counts falling your way, but you're basically throwing it away with that that the attitude that has been brought into the game. Oh, I mean, did they just? Well, a beggar's belief, you know. Like I, you think to yourself, surely they don't go into the game thinking this is just going to happen. <sighs> But how do you account for so many of the players being well below their best? Yeah, it's one of those ones from the outside looking in, you're never going to know. And because, you know, even in the post-match press conference, Arthur and Gufferson were saying that they, they came to this game knowing that the West Tigers deserved to be, the, you know, have all respect uh, requisite of being an NRL-calibre opposition. And yet at the same time, the, the occasion has got too big for the Eels. You know, you talk about the 75th anniversary, Easter Monday, all that stuff. They, they just played so far within themselves that I don't know if they were, they, they, they got an overly cognizant of the situation and said, let's not get, let's not let the emotion, you know, take control of the game. We'll, we'll just try and play within our, our systems and our patterns. But geez, they started slow. West Tigers took full advantage. And, and unfortunately, we've seen in the past that Eels can build into games and take over games. But every time they got a foot back into this game, they let West then hit back again. And so they, they never really got complete ascendancy. Obviously, we got back to 20-all, but then with 10 minutes to play, the the game plan was just bizarre. We had Gufferson kicking dead when we had a chance to set up for a field goal for about seven minutes left. We had, with a minute left, Reed Marnie wasn't uh, in sync with his halfback Mitchell Moses. Moses was screaming for one more to the posts, 
on the fourth and Marnie throws it to Moses on the fourth, causing him to have to scramble and then rush for the, the setup for a field goal for the next tackle. It's just that, like you said at the start, attention to detail, mate. And for whatever reason, it was not there this week. Yeah, it, it did. It look like seventeen strangers out there. Not far I, off. Not far off. You mentioned there about did the occasion become too much for them? Did they become overly cognizant of the occasion? I would hate to think that that was the case because, because there are going to be bigger occasions in, in the postseason. Have, exactly. If they've got ambitions to to do something significant, yeah, that the postseason occasions are going to be far bigger than that. And there that was, was that was one of the things that Brett Kenny hammered home, and he didn't go out there and absolutely you know blaze them with critical uh, you know uh, complaints last night. But he just said, "Look, there's been a lot spoken about this team." Uh, but the fact is that if they want to go deep, you know, into the finals, these are the moments you need to be on top of, and yeah. and for whatever reason, I mean, we, we've seen the Eels have like against Melbourne, they 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 came out big, but this was, and you sort of you, you don't want to keep saying the same stuff, so I'm at a bit of a loss for words here, but the, this was so straightforward, like the opportunity to win the game, even as bad as they were playing, was there, and they just could not do it. And I suppose, in a way, this 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 I'm not going to say this is a loss you need to have because this is a game that they should have won regardless. But maybe this this will prevent them from papering over any sort of cracks uh, that have uh, maybe you know wormed their way into some of the makeup of the team in the early parts of the season because there's going to be some big self reflection you'd think coming out of this one. Yeah. So let's look at solutions because. And I'm going to have to go to you for this because um, I wasn't able to attend uh, the match this week. Uh, couldn't really attend any football <laughs> given the circumstances um, over the weekend. Uh, so you were there for the New South Wales Cup game. Yes. Are there solutions, first of all, to the outside back problem? Well, I know that a lot of fans are going to be pushing for... Hayes Perrin to get a, a, a legit crack on the wing. I thought he looked good in his limited uh, minutes, but it is you got to remember that he was coming up against an incredibly fatigued West Tigers outfit after seventy minutes of footy. Um, so that I mean, Hayes should be in the mix still. That's not a slur on Hayes's performance. Um, but yeah, Matthew Komalafi is a player that's been a, a little bit of a I wouldn't say revelation, but he's a a player that has played to the the level of his competition. When he was in flag earlier in the year, looked like a flag player, got the call up the cup via injuries, and he's just looked really comfortable. Scored a hat trick yeah. this week, scored a double against the Roosters, or oh, oh, sorry, the Bears, but the Roosters last week. Uh, there, there's still the, a defensive lapse or, or two in his game, but whenever he makes those mistakes, you, you'll see him back up and cover defense and force an error some way, somehow, and, and rectify it. So. The big problem for Matthew is he's outside the top 30. I don't know how much dispensation they'd be able to get to play him because he's not developed when he's not uh, anything like that. He's just second tier. But, yeah, I, I was very impressed with him. Uh, I mean, Jake Arf had a good game against the Magpies, but that doesn't really help you given that Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown aren't the problem at the moment. Uh, but in, in the forwards, Kai Robbo started the game strongly, but I don't think he returns. He might have picked up a niggle. Uh, we're Greg, very good with the born hand, but still a little bit suspect defensively. Uh, Ellie L's game looks very good, but 
once again, um, you know, I know Ice had a bad game, but you're not dropping him for that. And with Ryan Madison and Sean Lane there, you got plenty of edge forward depth. So yeah, the big the big problem for the Eels is that specialist wingers again that are eligible to play that could be you know not overall by the occasion. That's that's where you're looking for, and we just it's not there. But talk um, to me about talk to me about Zach Sini yesterday because I've been watching him in his performances for the Eels since joining the club, and he's every time I've seen him, he's he's got better and better. Uh, he competes. His uh, positional play has been quite strong. Um, saved tries left, right, and centre in the matches that I've seen. How did he perform yesterday? Yeah, well, this is a play that we've we've spoken about a little bit since he's been uh, acquired by way of West and then Cronulla. He came to us late. Uh, it would have been just just prior to round one, right? Sixties, and yeah, didn't have a preseason feels so not not in the Parramatta. Uh, system in that regard there but has hit the ground running and I think yesterday was pretty much what we'd, we'd seen in other games where just highly uh, efficient you know the guy the guy gets heavily involved with good touches consistently had a very good try saver in the I want to say was it the first half uh, where held up held up a guy over the line where he had no right to make make that tackle I'd say so very good defensive involvement there he just gets his meters every time he's got the ball with that footwork before the line. Um, had a nice little counter-attacking play in the second half uh, where he, he ended up setting up a try for, I think it might have been the try that uh, JD8 scored where it, it, almost a comedy of errors from the West Tigers later in the set. But he uh, had a big counter-attacking run. When I, when I, told, when I spoke about Komalafi making that defensive error, it was when he, came, he made that error and came back and knocked the ball loose. And Sini scooped it up and turned it into a 20-plus metre gain. So, yeah, he is probably the player that, assuming there's dispensation for the Eels, might be the one that sneaks into the frame because he's been playing centre, but he does have experience on the wing from his days back at the Tigers. And and just the fact that he is a reliable presence rucking the ball out and has had first-grade experience, is, it's worth a lot. Yeah, I think he's been playing centre due to circumstance in terms of who the Eels had available in. Yeah. Because the injury crisis That's of right. first grade has, has reached far and deep, affecting the um, reserve grade too. That's it. So you've got um, Sini and Samuel Luizio that, that have been playing centre in uh, New South Wales Cup and you'd had uh, Lehman and Matthew Komalafi yes, correct. playing on the wings because uh, Solomone Naiduki has also injured. been injured. So... Um. Yeah. Uh, had Cardi go yesterday? Yeah. Well, for a bloke that was dropped to reserve grade, and I, you know, I don't know if it was a function of telling him he had stuff to work on, or just because you know first grade spots are very competitive. But whichever it was, Cartwright responded really positively. Um, there's always a concern that if you get him dropped down there, he's going to start trying to force his hand and and go for all of the miracle plays. But he found that really nice balance where he did some real plus playmaking, set up a couple of tries. I think Komalafi had a, a try off one of his grubber kicks and there was some nice ball playing in the red zone in general. But he just he, he found that balance between running the ball, getting involved, and being a playmaker. And so it was really good to see Cartwright have that kind of you know bounce back game or or just a game on tape for the coaches after being put back to reserve grade. I think that um, Ryan Carr 
has he encourages him to be the playmaker to be to put on the football moments for that team, and uh, I think the the way that he's been coached since he's come to the Eels is that he's got that balance. So um, they're not telling him you can't go for those moments. They're actually encouraging go for them at the right moment. So um, I'm not surprised to see that there. So what do you think the chances are? Uh, I mean, we has there any been any further early feedback on uh, Opachik uh, leaving the field yesterday? No. And from my seat in the stands, that was a bizarre one because I wasn't sure if Leilua had led with an elbow, but then the replay came and it, was, it looked like a fairly regulation fend. I wasn't sure if he had his jaw open and it led to some, like some sort of partial dislocation because of the the fend. Um, so I, I'm waiting for uh, information on that one. There was also some talk that from NRL physio that Reg might have done some ligaments in his feet for a, a minor uh, like one to three week potential window of injury. So there's a little bit of fallout to come out of this game for the Parramatta Eels. And if we go down another centre, you'd have to think that Zach Sini sort of comes into the team regardless, right? Yeah, it's um, it, it it starts to get into that territory of um, not looking real good at all in terms of the the team that will be running out. In um, yeah, I mean, I, look, I don't like to look at at doomsday sort of prophecies when it comes to football and and being this early in the season I don't believe it's it's cause for that in any way shape or form however I think there are a couple of important decisions that might need to be made this week it might be that Sini features in those decisions but and, and thankfully we've got Junior coming back this week I think the last oh, thing geez. we put forward however was Reg to be out yeah. for any period of time because it's actually amazing it's the first time we've mentioned that but what a game if you ever want to see how much of an impact Junior has to this team, I think the Easter Monday game against West Tigers really spelt it out. Uh, Reg obviously played very well too, but just Junior brings something different. And that you talked about the sum of the parts being less than the whole. And I think Junior's ability to be what the Eels need, whether it's tough defense, powerful runs, ball playing, that is a big part of it, of the Parramatta sum of the whole. And, yeah, him being out this week was uh, telling. Yeah. So um, we don't have to wait too long, mate, because it's Tuesday today. Yeah, Tuesday with the team list coming up in a matter of hours. We're recording this about 9 o'clock in the morning uh, following that Easter Monday loss. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a, it's right back into it. And I've got to get my whiskey musings up tomorrow. It's not going to be pleasant, unfortunately. I know goals already uh, laid into the boys in his post-game grades, you know, and fair enough too, given what we just spoke about there, how disappointing it was to see, you know, just a lack of attention to detail. And that that's a stuff that when you're a premiership caliber team, you can't afford to have those moments. And like I said, the video review is going to be brutal. This one, the boys are going to be uh, highly critical of themselves when they have a chance for self-reflection. I dare say. Yeah. So where. We're being critical. We're trying to be as analytical as possible as well. We've we have that chance when it's the next day takes to remove some of the emotion from uh, how we felt about the performance. And I'd like to think that we have broken it down as best we can from the perspective of what wasn't working and what needs to be looked at. Uh, how, however, 
Um, there's plenty of emotional takes out there if you like that. Um, uh, Forty just mentioned um, goals and grades. It's some harsh reading, uh, some very harsh reading. I had a look at it and I just thought, whoa, this is <laughs> – um, the, the, he's not missing anyone with these takes. Um, uh, for us, yeah, we, I, I, think, I think we've done our best to look at it from a whole team perspective here um, uh, rather than concentrating on the individuals because I think it's fair to say that maybe aside from Reg, that everyone was way below their best yesterday and um, uh, need a bit of a look in the mirror when it comes to how they perform next match. Yep. I mean, and look, you go across the park, you'll see guys that, you know, had reasonable efforts, even though it contrasts with some bad stuff. You know, I thought Bowie Simonson worked his ass off, uh, considering the circumstances in the back line. Murata had some great runs too. Uh, you know, Dylan and Mitchell had some big moments, but couldn't quite get us home. Uh, you know, th- there was that, that stuff across the park. I mean, we talked about Will Penasini's struggles on the wing, but he also had eight tackle busts. Like, he, he got involved and did some fantastic stuff. But it comes back to that idea that those individual efforts were less than the sum of what the Parramatta Hole has been when they are switched on. And I think that's yeah. going to be the big emphasis for players and coaches when they do the video today, I assume, and get focused on that game against Newcastle is we just need to be better across the park when it comes to so many little things because that is those little things become a big thing so very quickly when it comes to rugby league. Yeah, absolutely. And and even in uh, – like, like I was critical of Ice's first half. I think it was amazing that he was able to pull it together in the second half and be as composed as he was after the the errors that that happened there, but again it keep it keeps coming back to we can't pull out uh, and, and pick a few performers or a few moments where we were getting something good out of individuals as a whole. The team was just way down on being anywhere near where they had to be I mean. Uh, probably a five percent improvement, and they get the win. But you know, what sort of win would it have been? It would have been a you know they get the two competition points, and you wouldn't have been able to say too much more than that. Uh, we just know that they have to lift a lot more on what they produced yesterday to get any any wins in the in the upcoming weeks. Now, never mind the overall premiership, just to get back on the winning trail, they'll, they'll need to be so much better than they were yesterday. Yep. I think that's a fair way to sum it all up, mate. And I think uh, for us as fans, at least, we, we're going to bury this one and uh, move on. But for the team, they obviously, it's that delicate balance where you want to purge, have that short-term memory and purge the, the worst of it, but you also need to take those lessons out of this game and uh, rectify them. And I think that's what the Eels will do. Uh, you know, Obviously, the, the list issues continue in terms of injuries. If Reg is out for a couple of weeks, it's going to hurt uh, significantly. But they're sort of just wrong with those blows as they can, and they've got to get back to controlling what they can control, and that's got to be the point of emphasis for the Newcastle Knights. You know, attention to detail, control what you can control, you know, play the game with your flow. Don't let, you know, your position take control. Yeah, 100%. Well, mate, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to add my takes after you and Clint did such a fine job back at Paraleagues and Jack's Bar and Grill last night, and, um, Mate, what how what a what a testament to 
um, Eels supporters who turned up in such numbers, not only at the, at the game, but to fill the bar last night to the brim and and listening to the takes of the match from yourselves and and also from Brett Kenny. Uh, I, I couldn't I, when when I got the message through from one of them one of my mates who was there in the um, in the bar, Rob, he, he sent through the message about how jam-packed it was, how fantastic the podcast was going. And I couldn't have been happier because it's never easy after a loss. And I think for, for you fellas to be able to keep the vibe strong in the club after the game and for the Eels supporters who turned up to respond to it, I uh, couldn't be happier. Uh, I mean, it, it, like I said, it was the perfect way to celebrate 75 years of Parramatta outside of the loss in the actual game itself. An evening with Brett Kenny, just being able to shoot the shit, talk football, talk, you know, that not not just, you know, the game in the eighties, but just anything about football because he he is a, a wonderful bloke to just chat footy with and and there were some uh, great questions there. I mean, one of my favourites was going into some of those players that were probably underappreciated from the eighties and hearing him mention uh Paul Taylor and Steve Sharp as guys that probably deserve more credit and just the, the background to that line of thought was fascinating. Uh, you know, Brett, we, we've mentioned it before, but the fact that perhaps, you know, there's so many great players in that team, but the fact that neither he nor Ray Price, probably the, those two, and, and maybe even Mick Cronin, never really came up for serious consideration for the Immortals is one of the great travesties of the game. Uh, yeah. And and those those guys, and I know that Parramatta fans love them, and, and they, they hold a, a special place in their hearts, but they, they really deserve more credit than they get in the wider rugby league community. Couldn't agree more. Uh, let, let's let's get pricey up there as well for that um, rugby league immortals. We we can't let that go on for much longer. Let him be the starting point, and then the likes of uh, Bert and uh, Mick Cronin and Peter Sterling can uh, follow soon after. Agreed. And uh, on that note, I think we'll wrap it all up, mate. It was a pleasure to be able to get a little bit more uh, not not necessarily analytical, but just remove the emotion of a incredibly frustrating loss and, and go back into it. And I think that there's going to be a lot to take out of this one. And we've mentioned it in the past, but you often get more in terms of lessons out of a loss than you do from a win. And I'm hoping that this will be the loss that stops the Eels from papering over any sort of cracks, from getting refocused and getting back to that attention to detail. And it all starts at Newcastle in round seven. And we'll be back into it with our preview podcast come Thursday this yeah, week. Yeah, we got you talk about the short turnaround for Team West Tuesday. It's the same thing for the preview podcast. We're back in a couple of days. So I look forward to that one. I've uh, got some uh, big stuff. Obviously, we'll have Spiro back, hopefully, but we've got to sit down with the Greystains Devils. So going to have some cool stuff there. Make sure you tune in. And yeah, otherwise, thanks for stopping by, giving us a listen. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast as much as the lost stings. And we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Go the Eels.